Welcome to Scientifica Radio. I'm Evelyn. And I'm Rakib. On today's episode, we're going to start off by talking to three young scientists from different parts of the world who all have a lot of things in common. They're doing incredibly interesting research, which they hope will contribute to advancing our world in some way. So I'm a master's student in chemical engineering at McGill University. That's Selena. Selena actually called us in from an engineering conference in Hawaii. To say the least, we were super jealous. Oh, yes, we were. <laughs> when we asked her what she hopes to do with all her research knowledge, she said, I guess my hope is that um, I can implement technologies that have a positive positive impact um, on our environment, on our society, and yeah, and that that will make an impact in the world. That was very similar to the response that Ilka, a PhD student in chemistry from the Max Planck Institute in Germany gave. We asked her over Skype what specifically interests her about her research and what she hopes to con- that it can contribute. But the sources of energy, I feel, are very important. I mean, we're living at times where we need to, like, get away from fossil fuels and um, start to, like, really try and make the alternatives available to everybody. And for perovskite solar cells, they are pretty cheap, so this might help. The last scientist we interviewed was Norma. She has done most of her research in Quebec, but is originally from Mexico, where she completed her undergrad degree. Hi, my name is Norma Mendoza. I'm a research associate at the Plasma Processing Laboratory uh, at the Department of Chemical Engineering at McGill. Unlike Evelyn here, who is doing a PhD in engineering, I don't think I completely understand what each three of the young re- uh, young scientists are specifically studying. Yeah, and I think it will take more than one episode to explain this. You know, or two for me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just like Selena and Ilka, it's extremely apparent that Norma is passionate about her work and knows how she would like to apply her skills. I would like to uh, contribute on this field, which is uh, materials focused, to provide solutions for the society uh, on different uh, fields like uh, uh, biomedical, energy, or um, other materials uh, sectors. Another thing that they all have in common is that they're women in STEM. Science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Fields predominantly dominated by men. The disproportionate representation of women in science and science fields is an issue and the reality that all three of the young scientists we spoke to have and continue to experience. Although we can't share all of their experiences, here are a few clips from their interviews. Selena, so you're the only female who's a graduate student. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How does that make you feel in that group or in general? Um, I think it makes me kind of feel empowered in a way, like in a way to know that my supervisor, that I'm working in a field that's very male dominated. Like it makes me feel like I want to stay in it. Um, 
because I almost want to prove it to every other woman who wants to be in the electrochemical um, field that that is okay, that you can do it. And um, but I think on the day-to-day -day level, um, I also do feel left out a lot of the times. One thing to, to highlight, I'm, I'm actually at a conference right now of 4,000 people um, of electrochemical society. Um, and it is, you know, predominantly men. And <laughs> um, yeah, it is interesting to kind of just think about and, and, to, and to, to recognize and be cognizant of the fact that there are so little women in this field. Are you conscious of it? Do you think about it right away? Is it something that you pay attention to when you walk into a room? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And here is Ilka again. I, feel, I think for, for women in science, one thing um, that is important is how we can actually connect uh, working in science and maybe also having a family. And if you don't really have anybody who can tell you how to do this as a woman, um, it's kind of hard to to like actually figure out um, if you really want to stay in science. I just started thinking about that very recently, basically, because before that I never really um, thought about that at all. Um, but now, yeah, it kind of makes me think about this. Like, if I really want to stay in science or maybe switch over to some kind of um, industry job. We asked Ilka if she had a personal story about being a woman in her lab. She was quick to respond. Well, something that I thought about is when I when I went to um, a, a physics conference, and um, like one of my colleagues told me like, oh well, so I had a poster to present, and one of my colleagues was like, don't worry about it. So a lot of people are gonna stop by your poster because you're a girl. And I was like, well, um, this is not exactly the point why I'm at the conference because I would like people to stop for my poster because I did like good science. So. Um, and then with that in mind, it always makes you wonder like, okay, now did that person stop just like to have a nice chat with me or did they actually stop because they like the stuff that I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Currently, we have an adequate uh, representation of women, but it's uh, from the last year. And this is Norma again. But I should say that during my master and PhD study, studies, and even at the beginning of my um, experience at McGill as a postdoctoral researcher, it was a lack of uh, uh, women representation. And I always felt uh, a minority <laughs> in the group. It's a uh, privilege and our responsibility to represent a um, minority uh, uh, on, on my field. Uh, specifically, I think that uh, women, we can build networks and teams uh, very easily. We are uh, very talented as any person, but um, unfortunately, we don't have enough women presence on engineering or uh, science fields. It makes me sad because with uh, all um, my the, the years behind, I've observed how uh, women and men interact together. When there is a 
more homogeneous uh, environment, uh, things are much more interesting. The experiences of Selena, Norma, and Ilka are not anomalies. They are not outliers. It's a well-documented problem with objective data in the scientific community. So what do we know? According to Statistics Canada, women make up 22% of Canadians working in STEM, with the lowest representation in engineering, and a very similar statistic can be observed in the U.S. Women in STEM, on average, also get paid 7.5% less compared to their male counterparts. There are less women continuing STEM after undergraduate education, less women in higher level roles of authority, less women with first author publications, less we can go on. It's a problem. And unfortunately, it diverts women from focusing on what they actually want to focus on, the science. If you want to read more about statistics behind this, you can go to our Facebook page, Scientifica Radio. Even though these statistics can easily discourage, there are increasingly more scientists who are trying to address this issue, and some in very unique ways. For instance, Bias Watch Neuro is a group of predominantly female scientists tackling the disproportionate representation of women speakers at scientific conferences, a problem both Selena and Ilka addressed earlier on. To learn more about the Bias Watch Neuro website, Rakeep got on the phone with one of the founding members, Dr. Heather Reed, an associate professor in the Department of Psychological Sciences and Biomedical Engineering at the University of Connecticut. Hi. Hey, Heather. You're currently part of uh, an organization or group called uh, Bias Watch Neuro. Uh Um, Do you mind explaining what Bias Watch Neuro is and how it came about? Sure. Um, So Bias Watch Neuro is a group of men and women who think that there are benefits to having diverse voices, ideas, and such in science. And so as part of that, we think there should be a fair representation of women in scientific conferences. Um, And, you know, that this is important because you need to be able to speak about your scientific ideas in order to get your research published and funded. So we were basically a group that got together and formed a website um, to help make people aware of, um, let's see, well, the concept is to educate the public, to create a website that tracks the ratio of uh, female to male speakers and at neuroscience conferences in Mm -hmm. particular. And so in terms of how it came about, was this, um, you know, something that has been in the works for a while, something that you talked to your fellow colleagues about wanting um, to have or being frustrated with specific situations that you were seeing? Like, how did, how did that come about where someone said, well, let's, let's put science into practice and, and show that this is a real problem and show that we have a long way to go? Um. You know, I don't think it was just a bunch of us in the locker room, you know, <laughs> complaining about the horrid um, situation in science and the lack of female speakers per se. But there were um, a group of us that there were 
it was interesting because there were several email groups and several conference programming committees that I was involved in. Mm -hmm. And um, we were dealing with these kinds of issues because um, one of the conferences was uh, APAN, which is short for, um, for um, Advances and Perspectives in Auditory Neuroscience. And basically one of our goals in that programming committee is to make sure that we have a good representation of males and females. It's a federally funded conference and it's a it's a pretty big conference for this particular area and so we want to make sure we get a fair representation as well as having really excellent science. Mm -hmm. And so we often talked about those things and then just, you know, a couple, there were a couple of incidences of other conferences where there were, you know, literally zero women being yeah. um, speakers at the conferences and so some of us started to talk about it and say that this was just um, not right, but how do, we, how do we make something change? How do we change the system? And, um, and so we just started to get the ball rolling. A few people actually just took action. So um, basically Adrian Fairhall went ahead and created a website with the name for Bias Watch Neuro, um, which we had tossed around as a possibility. And then, um, then Yale Niv at Princeton um, basically um, followed up by really putting in some nuts and bolts work, building up that website and getting some conferences posted there. And then we all started to contribute our, yeah, contribute our time mm -hmm. to tracking some different conferences because we were all from different fields or subfields of neuroscience. And so we had different conferences that we were involved with or familiar with. And so we, and we brought people from the outside as well. And it wasn't just women. It was men and women. Yeah. And so that was the cool part. When viewers or listeners uh, go onto the website, uh, what they'll see is uh, a home where there are different conferences. And below each conference, uh, there are the organizers of the conference, who is funding the conference and the speaker gender ratio. Yes. And then the estimated base rate of females in that particular field of yes. neuroscience. So, so the base rate is just, it's an objective and fair metric that we can have to say, what is, what is a fair representation of women in this particular subfield, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're in physics, for example, which we're not really doing yet on Bias Watch Neuro, we're really focusing on neuro, but there's some branches of neuro that involve actually a lot of mathematicians and physicists. So I've been to such conferences and there's very few women, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the question is, is that just a bias that the organizers have, be they male or female, or is that um, a true limitation in terms of that field that there's so few women in the field, they couldn't even invite them anyway, right? Yeah. And so, so the base rate is basically calculated uh, and from by going to publicly available uh, records of funded uh, scientists fund that are federally funded by federal agents such as the National Institute of Health and basically going to that and getting a certain amount of samples from there and, and determining um, how many of those uh, grants are funded to people who are male versus female, and we calculate the ratio essentially, and that is our base rate. And so the idea is that if you have only 10% of the people that are studying uh, some area of computational neuroscience, then you, didn't, you don't expect to see a lot more than 10% at a conference 
um, being speakers that are women, right? So that's the concept there. Rakib, that sounds like a very interesting website that uses a lot of great objective data. Yeah, it was so great talking to Dr. Reed. We had a great conversation and she went on to explain that there has been a lot of positive feedback from conference organizers and also scientists from other fields like physics and engineering who were interested in creating similar websites. But mainly Dr. Reed hopes that initiatives like Bias Watch Neuro can inspire and motivate a new generation of young female scientists. We're just hoping to encourage more a more fair representation and also to inspire, you know, the next generation of, you know, women in STEM, right? What what do you do? What do you consciously do in your lab um, to make sure that there is a healthy um, relationship and representation of uh, of women um, in the field? Like, what are some steps that you've taken? Um, so in far? my own, in my in lab, your, yeah, in your lab and in your own research, I guess, in academic field. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I would. I mean, to be honest with you, eighty mm-hmm. percent. Uh, or more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my effort is just really a lot of effort in there in terms of the mentoring and the training and the um, encouragement um, of, of people to become independent creative thinkers and scientists, right? So a lot of that energy is just there. And it's really, for me, very unbiased. I think male and female, although they say, and you know, there are many implicit biases, and so what do I do? I actually, in general, for diversity in the lab, be it male, female, or uh, other um, underrepresented groups that are in my lab, um, which I have had several, and basically, and also a lot of first-generation scientists, mm-hmm. um, basically I try to uh, encourage people not to uh, be afraid to speak up if they have a question, because um, basically there's no need to to think that their uh, their lack of, of knowledge in an area or their um, their needing to have more discussion to understand something is um, is a shortcoming because it's not and and so basically I'm oftentimes in our lab meetings and journal clubs and any kind of setting like um, in an ongoing experiment or something um, or in prepping a talk that they may be giving basically I oftentimes ask that they just speak up and ask a question and not feel inhibited. Um, and I think that that helps all the people in the lab mm-hmm. um, to, to feel comfortable with that because some people just naturally feel less comfortable given whatever their background is. Um, and also, and specifically for women in my lab, I actually um, do this for all my students, but I find that it's really important for um, women twos to encourage them to, to give public talks, even if they're small, like short, I mean, on the order of five minute talks or. 15-minute talks regularly in uh, environments where, where there are scientists that can uh, basically interact with them. Um, and I find that that's a very good thing for them to do um, from a very early stage, and so I do that. So that helps their career track, I think, a lot to feel comfortable speaking about their work. Yeah, right? yeah. And you also uh, you also mentioned something that you do in terms of writing reference letters. Oh yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> do you mind yeah. explaining? Do you mind explaining the thought process behind that and and what you do? Right. So as as people move along, I, you know, I have male and female people in my lab, and um, 
you know, as, as what I've discovered through a, a variety of channels is that there, um, there are implicit biases um, against women. So obviously there are psychology um, reports that have shown, there's a group at Yale, for instance, that has, um, has shown that there are implicit biases against women and men. So if you pass around a resume and it's the same resume, but it has a female name on it, then people are less likely to hire them. Uh, if they are asked to rank them on being hired in their own lab, um, and they're also less likely to pay them a higher salary. And so this is true regardless of whether the person that's um, ranking the resume or the application is male or female. So it's an implicit bias that we all have. Mm -hmm. And so um, I've thought about this, and in other arenas, people have brought up that we shouldn't be using pronouns so much, gender-specific pronouns so much. So basically, I've gotten to where I write letters of reference um, with for both males and females coming out of my lab. I write those letters of reference um, without any pronouns. <laughs> so it's actually a real talent. It's really hard to do. I can imagine, um, yeah. Yeah, but it's. I think it's good. And the concept is not so much that the person is not going to know the gender of this person. Of course, they're going to know the gender. But the concept there is it's something simple that I can do. And um, and basically, as they read that application or that letter, and that in this case, the letter, basically, they can read it. And they're not getting hammered over the head with she, 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 mm -hmm. and, and which might just create an implicit bias, right? And what has the reception been to that? Because I, I, you know, it's not a standard practice like you were saying. It's it's no. it's a very nuanced way of thinking. So, yeah, how's that been? Yeah, that's a <laughs> thing for you to say nuanced. <laughs> yeah, I, so I've had uh, some people say, well, it doesn't sound very nice when you write it like that. So I've worked with some other people on writing group letters of reference or for like um, promotion. Um, committees and stuff like that and so as we're writing these letters we're actually all weighing in on what they say and at first I had half a group of psychologists basically saying oh it doesn't sound as nice and then the other half was saying but this is right you know we need mm -hmm. to we're you know those people were actually social psychologists I'm not <laughs> they were actually saying well we should be doing this um, but they were grumbling because they had to do it so it is not it's not an easy thing to do and I don't know how much effectiveness um, how much effectiveness it has, but I feel like it's a good, simple thing that I can do. And I do it for every, and the nice thing is I do for the males and the females, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm still like, yeah, it's just wrapping my head around uh, the reference letters and because th there are so many pronouns that are always used in it. So yeah, it so difficult. I even do it when I'm speaking in groups like scientific meetings okay know. wow so yeah, like definitely have to, to <laughs> ingrain it in and yeah I don't think we've used too many pronouns except when I was describing this so I, I could be wrong <laughs> <laughs> like go back and like look I'll, I'll, I'll like count yeah, them <laughs> um and so one of my final questions for you is uh is there any advice that you would give to to young women currently who are aspiring to have a career, uh, an academic career in STEM, what would, what would be um, some advice or one piece of advice that you would give at this stage in their career? Okay. Well, I can give four pieces of advice. Oh, that's um, perfect. I would say, first of all, focus enough to become an expert. Um, I think it's very important to be polite but pushy 
I would say uh, help your mentors because they will help you. And um, then I would say that the most important thing for me and for everybody that I've ever worked with is that you have fun. I mean, you have to be having fun. Mm-hmm. There's no way you'll be successful if you don't have fun. And this young generation already seems to be stepping up. We spoke to Isabel and Mia, who are members of the Scientista organization at McGill University, to explain what young women across North America are doing to empower themselves and future generations of young female scientists. Scientista is an organization that aims to empower women in STEM fields. Um, Originally, Scientista was created by two sisters at Harvard University. Um, They were two biology majors. They realized there was a lack of role models, community content for women in STEM. And so that's exactly what they decided to create. Um, So, yes, originally Harvard University, and then it grew from there. There are now 28 campuses across uh, the United States and Canada who now have a Scientista chapter. And so in Canada, we're just starting to develop. I think Queen's University was the first one. We're the second or third. Um, So they're just starting to spread out in Canada. The two sisters who created it originally, they realized that there were resources for younger girls, there were resources for women that were further along in their career, but there was nothing really at the university level. So that's why it was created originally. And I think the best way to um, explain why these resources are necessary at all these different levels is because um, if we go back to the leaky pipeline model, that's really the best way and easiest way to describe it. It's it's the idea that um, of all the women that are on track to becoming top scientists, there's a proportion of women that fall off at every step uh, from being interested in sciences and math uh, in elementary school up until you know, doctorate, postdoc, and career steps. And so that's why it's important to have resources at all these different levels to kind of counterbalance that effect. Isabel also spoke about different events the chapter hosts throughout the year. One of the main events Scientista does across chapters is a monthly brunch or dinner or potluck. The idea is to have a monthly get-together um, that's one of the important ways Scientista wants to empower and support women in STEM is through community. So that's the aim of our monthly get-togethers is to create a community, create a space to discuss difficult issues, share personal experiences, but also just, you know, enjoy a nice meal together. Um, and so our first one will be October 23rd. That's uh, coming Sunday at noon. The best way to um, find out more about this event is really through Facebook. Our Facebook page is McGill University Students Scientista. We'll post everything through there. If you want to find out more about the events and mentorship opportunities hosted by Scientista throughout the year, check out scientistafoundation.com for a chapter near you. Although our 30 minutes does not capture a complete picture of what it's like to be a woman in STEM. The impacts, as you've heard today on the show, are felt across different generations of scientists. If you want to find out more about this topic, check out our Facebook page, Scientifica Radio. We will also be posting an extended interview with both Dr. Heather Reed and Scientista. We would like to say a big thank you to all of our guests on the show, Dr. Heather Reed, Isabel and Mia from Scientista, and of course, Selena, Norma, and Ilka 
for sharing their personal experiences. This has been Scientifica Radio, produced by CKUT. Hope to see you next time. Thank you.